This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Live from the Miami Convention Center, we are live on Radio Row. Carol Master along with my co-host Jason Kelly on this Fed Decision Day and, of course, awaiting that latest Fed decision. And the Fed decision is out as expected, though. Leaving the benchmark rate unchanged, says policy is appropriate. Uh, they are lifting the IOER rate five basis points, and uh, we'll be looking at that uh, reverse repo to 1.5%. The Fed extending repo operations at least through April. That is one thing that Wall Street has been very closely watching. All right, and I'm just taking a quick look in terms of market reaction. Looks like equities are certainly uh, pretty much so far staying pat uh, in terms of where they were prior to the release of that information. And I'm just checking on that 10-year. Uh, it, too, is pretty much staying where it is. So we're not seeing too much reaction. I think widely expected what we were going to get from the Fed uh, today in this first meeting of 2020. But nonetheless, that press conference will be very key in terms of predicting a little bit of outlook and what he has to say about some of the big factors are out there, including the virus. Absolutely. We're going to break that down, what the statement has. We're going to hear from Jay Powell uh, in just about half an hour. Uh, but before we get to that and to our team's analysis, let's get to Charlie Pellet back in New York. Hey, Charlie. Uh, thank you very much, and good afternoon. Happy Fed Wednesday with the Dow, the S&P, and NASDAQ. All higher right now. We are seeing the 10-year up 13.30 seconds. Yield there, 1.60%. We've got the S&P higher by 11. Again, there of four-tenths of 1%. 32.87 right now. The Dow pushing higher by 131 points, up five-tenths of 1%. NASDAQ is up 38 points. Again, there of four-tenths of 1%. Gold up three-tenths now, 15.71 the ounce. Crude oil, West Texas Intermediate down 35 cents a barrel, drop there of 7 cents of 1%. In addition to the Fed, the other big story today has to be earnings and earnings reactions. Lots coming out after the bell. Facebook will be among them, along with Tesla and Microsoft. Apple shares climbing to a record after last night's report, up by 3%. AMD, the other direction, down by 7%. General Electric, the major standout today, up by 10%. Recapping, we've got the 10-year up 12.30 seconds, yield 1.61%. S&P up 11 again there of four-tenths of one percent. I'm Charlie Pellet. That is a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. We do want to get more reaction to today's Fed decision. This is a big deal. First meeting of the year. And while it was pretty predicted um, fairly well, really well by economists and folks watching this decision. We still have to wait for that uh, live press conference. That's going to happen at the bottom of the hour with uh, Jay Powell. Steve Skanke is with us, back with us, Chief Economic Advisor at um, Keel Point. He is a former U.S. Treasury and White House National Security Council staff member based in Washington. He's in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio back in New York. Also with us is Francis Donald, Chief Economist, Head of Macroeconomic Strategy at Manulife Asset Management on the phone from Toronto. Steve, let's start with you. So nice to have you back with us. Um, you know, we all pretty much called this one fairly well. What's important about this, this meeting, this decision so far, and what's to potentially come from Jay Powell? Well, the, the meeting uh, came off as expected, as you said. Uh, no big surprises. Yeah. Uh, everything was anticipated. Uh, 
Uh, I think that uh, the, the biggest challenges facing the Fed right now are this uh, um, quantitative easing, which they don't describe as quantitative easing, uh, uh, adding to their balance sheet to deal with the repo market problem. Uh, they've telegraphed that that'll end after tax season uh, in April. But uh, I think the, the challenge is going to be, uh, while they don't see it as quantitative easing and they can explain why, the market sees it as quantitative easing. And uh, when it stops, how they explain it, it's going to be very, very important uh, so as not to, to leave markets uh, spooked the way we saw uh, at the end of uh, 2018. Right. Well, and for instance, Donald, we remember that all too well, that really for that first period in uh, Chair Powell's tenure, it felt like the market was cool with the statement. And then he opened his mouth and investors started uh, selling off. He's learned a lot about communication. I yeah. think it's fair to say. But what do you read in the statement and what do you need to hear uh, when we do hear from Chair Powell in a bit? Well, well I think in terms of what he announces today, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to add uh, go ahead, Francis. from the statement, the message from the statement is pretty clear, which is that Chair Powell isn't blinking. He's not blinking over uh, coronavirus. He's not blinking on market-based inflation prices falling or oil prices falling. There's very little to chew on in this statement. He's only made two small changes to the language. If we're going to get any form of dovish or hawkish plant, it's going to come in the press conference. But my sense is if they wanted to send the message that the Powell put was back on, there would have been more to digest from the statement, and there just isn't. So if we head into that press conference and we don't get some nods to some concerns, my sense is that equity markets, they might be a little irritated, right. for lack of a better term. Steve, come on in on this. Well, I agree with Francis. Uh, uh, they're very careful in the statement. There was really nothing that they needed to say. The, you know, the, the slight uh, tick up in interest on excess reserves was uh, expected uh, not to have done it would have uh, probably just caused some head scratching uh, uh, because everything is working uh, so well right now. Probably the only irritant out there is, is some recent uh, uh, comments by the president uh, about why the Fed doesn't do more to, to cut interest rates. Uh, but they're just going to be steady about that. They don't have to do anything about that. Uh, what they do need to be right. thinking about, though, is uh, um, what are some additional recession-fighting tools that they need to be developing internally and thinking about uh, so that uh, when we come on down the line and, and, and they haven't cut rates, uh, or even if they have co cut them a little bit more than uh, they have so far, what's going to be in their toolkit to, to deal with that? You know, you know, um, Steve, I want to ask you, I'm, I'm looking at our Fed Live blog and everybody from the, you know, our Bloomberg News team and economics team kind of weighing in. And um, they pointed out, one of our individuals, uh, the Fed has marked consumer spending to market as the only real change in the statement. And here's why it's maybe worth keeping a, wa a watch on it. The annual growth in the national paychecks, so we're talking about the 12-month change in average weekly hours, average weekly pay, payrolls, has decelerated to 3.8%, its slowest rate of growth since January of 2017. Um, consumer, we, we talk about it you know, ad nauseum, about how important it is to the economy, obviously, uh, and keeping things going. What are you keeping an eye on for the consumer? Anything out there that makes you a little bit nervous about whether or not the consumer is going to be able to keep up spending? Well, I pay a lot of attention to uh, consumer sentiment, uh, the University of Michigan study, and the conference board, Consumer Confidence. And, uh, and right now, consumer confidence and consumer sentiment is high. Uh, 
uh, and it seems to be staying there. The only uh, the only slight ding in that is that the uh, uh, release in January from Uni by University of Michigan showed that the uh, forward-looking outlook in terms of uh, consumer sentiment is is off a little bit. Uh, so long as they remain confident and uh, feel safe, they they will continue to spend. Uh, uh, what we're also hoping for is that we're going to see some return of uh, business investment. And there are signs that that's starting to appear. Uh, I do want to bring uh, some headlines to our audience about Lyft. There had been some reports earlier from the New York Times that Lyft was planning some job cuts as part of a broader restructuring, announcing this ahead of earnings. Uh, Bloomberg now reporting that Lyft is going to cut about 90 employees, representing about 1.6% of its staff. It says it's cutting staff also, at the same time, planning to hire more than 1,000 people in 2020. The stock uh, had been down almost 4% earlier in the session. Now, still down, but a little Coming less than 2%. Lows. Coming off its lows, for sure. But definitely but, dipping, I would say, on those headlines. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, this is a company like its chief rival, uh, rival, mm -hmm. rival, Uber, Uber. Uber. Yeah. <laughs> I can't rival. say rival or Uber. Uh, <laughs> its chief rival, Uber, uh, that's trying to figure out, you know, how to make money. Essentially, yeah. that's seems to be the big question. Yeah, and I think what's interesting too, Steve, and, and you know, this is something that we've been talking a lot about, you know, whether it's a Fed decision day, whether it's trade tensions, uh, you know, companies are making decisions, whether it's to cut workers, spend money differently. I mean, do you feel like companies, there's enough out, for the, out there for them to increase cap spending, to be more confident about the outlook? I think that there is uh, in many of the sectors. Uh, interestingly, what we haven't seen much in the headlines uh, uh, lately is all of the retail uh, businesses that are closing up stores and laying off uh, thousands mm. of employees. Uh, you know, it's, it's headlines of job cuts that uh, uh, ding uh, consumer confidence uh, directly. It's right. the old phenomenon, if someone else is losing their job, how safe is my job? <laughs> uh, and, and of course, I mean, it's understandable in, in the retail space, there's, there's been a shift from in-store consumer spending to online consumer spending, and, and we've watched that evolve. Uh, but, but there is that vulnerability in, in to consumer confidence in, in these job shifts as uh, the new jobs are not telegraphed as much as uh, uh, the jobs that are lost when, uh, when these stores uh, and shops uh, close up. And so, Francis Donald, chief economist over at Manulife Investment Management, come on back in. Uh, I do want to ask you, you know, sort of given what we've been talking about with the Fed, given what we've talked about and what we know so far about the coronavirus, what's an investor to do in, in this type of market? How do you synthesize all of this into a strategy at this moment? Well, you have no choice but to accept that there's more uncertainty, that if you were counting on a China rebound, it might be delayed and you have to widen your confidence intervals. And this is exactly what the Fed is going to have to do and all central banks will have to do is say, we just need to be a little bit more cautious as we assess the damage as it heads out. But most pandemics have showed us they turn out to be a buying opportunity. We just have to get a sense of when that might be. My bigger concern is that this is landing in a period where I suspect we're still going to have weak growth. Q1 being a problematic a quarter for growth, it might compound some of that weakness and make it difficult to differentiate between what is true cyclical weakness and what is this virus compounding on top of it. 
All right. So, of course, let's just remind everybody at the bottom of the hour, we will hear from uh, Fed Chairman Jay Powell, his regular press conference uh, coming after the meeting. We will take you live uh, there to the Fed in Washington to listen to that. So, Steve, I think I ask you this uh, every time we're together, but what would you want to ask Jay Powell right now? I'd really want to ask him what his biggest concern is uh, in going forward and developing new tools and, and having to address the day of reckoning with uh, uh, shutting off the, the money spigot uh, that they've had on since September. You know, $400, $400 billion in, uh, in new liquidity is a lot of money, and the markets have uh, come accustomed to it. And uh, how would he help us understand how that's going to get tapered in a way that uh, uh, doesn't really change the way things work in the markets? And Francis, let's put that question to you. What would you want to ask Jay Powell today? I'd like to know how Chair Powell is thinking about inflationary pressures. We've had a pullback in oil, market-based inflation expectations are lower, um, you know, average hourly earnings have pulled back. These are all deflationary pressures, and yet the Fed doesn't seem to be too worried about them in the statement. I'd like to get a sense of how much their view on that outlook has changed and what they're going to do if these problems worsen. And, and those problems worsening again, like, what... I guess, Francis, I'm, I'm trying to understand. I know we talked about this a little bit, but this virus, we're still trying to get our, our hands around it and, and our arms around it, especially from an investor's uh, perspective. When do you act uh, on the, 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 the fear or the worry at this point? I think markets have already acted on the fear and the worry. They've already yeah. priced in a probability of the worst outcome. That's what markets do. They say, I think there's an X percentage chance that this turns into something worse than it is now. We've seen that in the market. The bigger question for me is, when do I buy again? And if Powell comes out in this press conference and says, you know what, the door is open. If this produces more damage, then you know we will pull the trigger. That, to me, will be an important buying opportunity, just like it was in 2019. The other thing I want to ask you guys, because I feel like this is another thing, um, when we were hitting the 10-year anniversary this past summer of the you know longest economic expansion on record, I think we were like, okay, that's it. It's got to, you know, something's got to happen. Steve, when you look at this economy, is there more momentum to kind of keep it going like we have seen the last few years? Well, the, the, the momentum seems to be growing, uh, and uh, there was an expectation that 2020 could be even better than 2019. Now, obviously, there's a lot of things that can affect that along the way, but uh, right. very, you know, you, you, you look just across the sectors and economic growth has been robust. Uh, employment continues to grow. Uh, housing starts up 40% uh, in December year over year and, and another 6% in building permits. Uh, uh, that, mm -hmm. that continues to be strong. Uh, consumer confidence, consumer sentiment continues to be strong. Uh, small business optimism off a little bit, but continues to be strong. And uh, so when we see what happens with uh, business fixed investment, I think that'll tell us a lot. Uh, but if but if that starts to move forward, that, that would be uh, a very good indicator as to where we might end up with uh, a level of economic growth, probably somewhere in the range of yeah. two to two and a quarter percent in uh, 2020. Right, just kind of, to some extent, more of the same. Francis, you agree uh, with what Steve, Steve's assessment that we could keep this ec economic expansion uh, still moving along? 
Yeah, my sense is we've actually had three almost recessions in this cycle already, and had we not seen Fed cuts, Q4 this year and Q1 could have been something that looked much more like a recession. So now what we're seeing is a reacceleration, that sort of V-shaped recovery that we see after these weak economic times, and that can persist through the second half of 2020. But there are still some missing ingredients that make this a robust recovery, and the biggest one is where is China's stimulus? It's not as powerful, it's yeah. not as national as it used to be, Um, You know, we're still looking at some elevated global debt levels that are relevant to this. I'd like to see a weaker U.S. dollar help contribute to that rebound. Uh, You know, there's some components here that are not quite like those past recoveries. So can we muddle through? Absolutely. But we still got to get through a rough Q1. Let's not discount the fact that global growth hasn't yet turned. Global trade still falling. World industrial production still falling. Real car loading still falling. We're not out of the woods yet. All right. Going to leave it on that note. Thank you so much. I really appreciate both of yours uh, insights and analysis. Steve Skanke, Chief Economic Advisor at Keel Point, back in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Francis Donald, Chief Economist and Head of Macroeconomic Strategy at Manulife Asset Management on the phone from Toronto. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly. On Bloomberg Radio. Let's break it down with our team back in New York. Bloomberg News Bond reporter Alex Harris is there. And Josh Wright, chief economist at iSIMS. They're going to help us recap it all. Josh, I want to start with you. What jumped out at you, if anything, from what you heard from Jay Powell? This was really a press conference for the nerds. And I, <laughs> I think of it as a, this is the education <laughs> of a Fed chair. What a journey. This one's for the nerds. What a journey this has been what for What a him. journey, huh? You know, it used to be these are really short press conferences, and he was really candid and somewhat off the cuff. And this time it was longer. It was much more scripted. It was very disciplined. He was on message. And you could see very clearly that yeah. he was prepared to talk about the process for unwinding what they've been doing with the balance sheet. But he was not going to be taken off course, not for one minute. Yeah, it does feel like very much like he had a fail, uh, a plan and really did stick to it. I agree. Alex, what do you think? Besides, I know you laughed big time uh, there at Josh's well, you assessment. Know, Josh, one, we prefer front-end wonks, not nerds. But, uh, no, there there was really a <laughs> yeah. The term of art. It was a, there was a feast of information, I think, on, on the front end and their plan. And, you know, there was a bit in the implementation note, which is, you know, the Fed issues their statement at 2 o'clock, and then they put in a note with all their processes. And none of this was really in there except for the fact that we're extending the repo operations, you know, into April. And so for him to come out and say, well, we're going to continue these repo operations, but you're going to see us adjust the quantity and adjust the price, you know, that was new. And, and that was more for the market. And I think it takes a lot of the surprise out of the next few months when we get these repo schedules, you know, every ninth business day of the month. And then the other thing is his co- his comments on the bill purchases and the fact that they're going to taper those before outright ending them. You know, that was another surprise. You know, I, I think it was funny and we were laughing here in the studio about the number of times people asked variation on the question of what is your definition of ample? And like Josh had pointed out, they did not waver from that he was saying the minimum is one and a half trillion dollars of reserves but i think it also tells you that there's still a long ways from even hitting that level and feeling really comfortable because there's so much variation and those number the level reserves can vacillate so much especially in april with the tax season upon us 
Speaking of not being happy, uh, the Fed chairman saying not comfortable with inflation persistently below 2%. Expect inflation to move closer to 2%. Josh, if I had a nickel for every time I, I heard someone say, we're going to get there, we're going to get there, um, I don't know. Uh, you could be in the repo market. I could be in the repo market. <laughs> I could own an NFL team playing See what I the did Super there, Bowl. Harris? Did you like that? I, I brought it back like to the repo that. market. Well done, Jason Kelly. Well, it was just for you. You might have well, your apple reserves based on those nickels. <laughs> hey, there you but, go. I mean, what about inflation? I mean, I don't know. It does feel like something's different. Uh, I think we might say that we're at the desperation point here. You know, the Fed does not change its inflation mm -hmm. framework or its policy framework lightly. And as you can see, even once they've announced this process, however many months ago, it's still going to be another six months and they're not ready to talk about it or give any uh, overt hints, although there are some signs based on some of the informal comments and some interviews we've heard recently. Basically, the Fed is saying, uh, we're not getting there. We don't. The tools that we've been trying to apply before don't seem to be enough. Um, although they don't want to say that explicitly, the fact that they want to roll out a new kind of tool or a new kind of approach suggests that they see a lack and they want to close that gap. And so, uh, Alex, let's talk a little bit about the, the repo mention and everything uh, that's been going on. We know you love to talk about it. So what does it mean for the bond market going forward that this is front of mind? Oh, this is going to be a very boring repo market for the time being. And you've seen it already. They've really kind of held rates. We'll call but it in a good way, right? I mean, that's that you kind of want a boring repo market, right? Yes we and don't no, want all though. that. And this is where fall. this is where I sort of disagree with with Jerome Powell saying on behalf of the Fed. Well, we want volatility like volatility in this market is normal. Well, if volatility is normal, start rolling back those repo operations sooner rather than later. Yeah, like, exactly. What are you afraid of? Because the other issue is this is remember the the, the benchmark of choice to replace LIBOR as, as directed by the official sector is the secured uh, overnight financing rate. That's repo back. So far is repo so for, back. And yeah. if that remains steady and there's no volatility there, if you're an investor like a money market fund, why would you want a SOFR linked floating rate debt instrument? There's no volatility there. There's no opportunity for yield. And I think that's maybe why we've seen such a drop off in issuance in that area. Transition moving forward. And I think it's going to be a problem. So it's almost like the Fed was too clever for their own good here. And, and it might end up being a problem for them in this other area. And I don't think anyone's really thinking about that right now. Hey, Josh, let's talk a little bit more about financial market conditions, because I, I, I thought it was interesting that he did address asset values, uh, some concerns. I'm looking for the little headline. Somewhat uh, elevated, where he said I believe, is the term he had. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, I don't know. How do you assess it in terms of some of the asset values that are out there? Well, he made the right call that you've got to focus on funding risk and you've got to focus on the leverage in the system. And that's the key distinction between what we see now versus what we saw back in the 2006 to 2008 period. Although we do have elevated levels of debt in non-financial corporations, and that is a concern. And as he said, that could really amplify any shocks. Uh, what we have in the financial system proper is things look relatively stable. Households look good. Labor markets still look strong. Um, the, the real issue is what's going on with confidence, because that's one of the areas where you could get a shock. A lot depends on how earnings go. Valuations do look stretched. And if there's something that goes bump in the night with tech earnings or IPOs, then we could find ourselves yeah. in a different kind of situation. And so, Alex, you know, what do you think about FedWise in terms of your market between now and the next time we hear from the Fed? What do you worry about? What do you, I mean, does virus sort of factor into the bond market? At what point? 
Yeah, a little bit. I think it's going to continue to just be headline driven, as we've seen before. You know, when you look at the very front end, what will be interesting is is what we get out of the minutes. You know, do we get any more details or get any sort of um, information on, you know, where their discussion of, you know, pairing back, you know, these treasury bill purchases, pairing back the repo operations, you know, where does where did that stand? with this meeting so that'll be kind of interesting and then just seeing how the market continues to respond and when they do decide to pull back on these repo operations but i think for now you know the virus and the knock-on effects it's all going to be headline driven you know the same as it's been with all the big issues like trade and such so you know but i I do think now people are sort of paying attention to the curve flattening post fomc right now um you know and now everyone's wondering you know is the fed missing something are they making some sort of mistake here or is this just a response to his comments on inflation um, and remaining, you know, below, you know, remaining below 2% and what's right. going to get us there? And that might be a driver as well. Just remind everybody, we this is Bloomberg Business Week. Carol Master, Jason Kelly, live in Miami on Radio Row at the Miami Convention Center. Just hearing from uh, the Federal Reserve, keeping rates unchanged as widely expected. And then, of course, hearing from Jay Powell. Coming up uh, in just a few minutes, Goldman Sachs Chairman and CEO David Solomon on the bank's first ever Investor Day. We've been covering a lot of headlines coming out of Goldman today. So we'll hear from that. Uh, Bloomberg Radio, Bloomberg TV simulcast. In the meantime, Josh... What didn't you get from Jay Powell that you would have loved to have heard? Or, or was everything pretty well covered? Well, he was certainly pretty comprehensive on what the plans are for what they're going to do about the repo market for the time being. I was surprised that he didn't say more actually about the coronavirus. And I'm one of those people that normally says, hey, let's Mm. step back and take a little more time. But he really didn't want to say anything. He said they weren't going to speculate. They want to have some cautious optimism. It's definitely awkward timing. You know, the story just broke a couple of days ago and have to go out and face the world press. Um, You're supposed to be the man with the plan when you don't even know what the situation is. Uh, That's a, a tough position to be in. I surprised he wasn't a little more reassuring, but judging from the market, it seems like uh, he's going to get away with it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Harris, last thought to you. Anything else going on in the desk among your colleagues that you want to make sure our listeners know? Oh, it's it's everything we've covered here. You know, it's trying to make sense of all the comments about repo operations, treasury bill purchases. You know, the one thing I, I think some people were hoping that we'd get into is to talk about SOFR. There was a letter from Randy Quarles and John Williams to members of the Alternative Reference Rates Committee, and they're the public-private partnership responsible for the LIBOR transition, and they're saying, you know, we're going to start looking at SOFR plus a credit-based component, and, you know, that affects a lot, you know, that affects the regulators, that, you know, that affects the Fed itself, that affects the transition and how people perceive it, and I think it would have been nice to have gotten a question or two from that and listened to Powell you know, right. and their thoughts on it. But again, you know, to to get as many questions about the balance sheet as we did, I think was a, a tall order <laughs> in general. So I'll, I'll take yeah. that. There was a lot, I agree. And kind of right out of the gate, we got a lot. Um, all right, gonna leave it there, folks. Thank you so much. Alex Harris, bond reporter at Bloomberg News, back in our interactive broker studio, along with Josh Wright, chief economist at iSIMS, both of them in our interactive broker studio. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly 
on Bloomberg Radio. All right, so a busy day, busy day in New York, busy day in Washington, busy day here in Miami. Let's stay in the state of Florida and check in with David Kotaki. Of course, is the chairman and CIO at Cumberland Advisors. He joins us on the phone from Sarasota, Florida. So from a couple of current Floridians to another, David, (laughs) what do you make of today's market, how it is absorbing all these different inputs, as it were? Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, I'm delighted you're in Florida. We welcome uh, visitors to Florida, as you know, and we're happy you're here. (laughs) I know. We're happy to be here. And you have Carol with you. Wonderful. She says she likes the cold weather, but decided to at least taste a little of sunny Florida. Uh, What to make of today's market? The the market has gone through, what, 5 6% correction or adjustment from the coronavirus news, some number like this, and then that seemed to be over. The metaphor I would say market agents are using is SARS. Um, they're looking at this as not any permanent impairment of the trajectory of very low growth, but positive, very low inflation, but positive, very low interest rates for a very long trajectory. And that is an environment which is great for stock prices. Uh, It's also great for alternative investments. You just had an interview with Goldman's initiative in alternative investments. Uh, They're not necessarily as liquid, and they may be opaque uh, or not as transparent as stocks or bonds, but that's an environment for them as well. And uh, it looks to me as if the market wants to continue based on that trajectory. So, David, lower for longer, right? Just when, you know, I'm harkening back to just this past summer when we, you know, hit the longest economic expansion on record, and I think everybody's like, all right, maybe it's just time. It's got to be over. But, you know, uh, market cycles, economic cycles, they don't follow a calendar necessarily, and certainly this one doesn't seem to. But lower for longer, potentially by the Federal Reserve for various reasons, and also because they don't have to raise rates if you look at what's going on with inflation. So, this market environment, this economic environment, can go on for longer in your perspective. Well, it, it certainly can, um, and it has uh, much longer. And I don't remember years ago now. I think we did an interview on on, on a show, and I never in a million years would have forecast this long a, a, a trajectory and the state of where things are. And had I done so, you would have had me locked up. So look, <laughs> I, I, so, we'd so, have to lock up a lot of people. <laughs> well, there you go. So you know, I I don't know how much longer this goes on. If we have no recession, and I think there is a risk of a couple of quarters of damage from the virus, but it would be viewed as transient. It might scare people, worry them a little bit, but the fact is, it would be viewed as transient. And so you could say to yourself, geez, what if we have this 1% and 2% um, policy interest rate average around the world? We keep inflation suppressed. It doesn't have a way to ignite. I don't, by the way, agree with uh, some forecasts that Bloomberg's been talking about, the great interview that was from Davos that says we don't have business cycles anymore. We don't have boom and bust anymore. Uh, yeah, I'm boom and bust the, is over, yeah. Was that the yeah, CIO well, of uh, Bridgewater? So. Bridgewater, yeah. You know, I, I, I think that 
the old boom and bust is alive, and in many ways we are creating the terrific bust of the future while we have this asset boom. And we have asset inflation induced by monetary policies worldwide. So the, the negative interest rate in the euro in Germany translates into the United States through something that's an exotic transaction for many listeners called a cross-currency interest rate swap. But what that mouthful does is take negative rates in the eurozone and translate that into the financing of uh, cheap money financing of the commercial development in Los Angeles. And that's the world in which we live. The Fed is stuck in the middle of that, and it will probably be there for a while. Until we get persistent inflation on a rising trajectory, broadly based on the price level, not the asset prices, we are going to continue in this. And I don't know, Carol, how long that will be. Yeah. All right. David Kotak, always good to catch up with you, Chairman, Chief Investment Officer of Cumberland Advisors. Joining us on the phone, just sort of up the road-ish in Sarasota, Florida. We're here in Miami. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.